Abbey. Time is 8.30. You're listening to WART Wart Radio, which means it's time once again for Demor Bust 2010. everyone and welcome to Demo or Busts 2010 episode number 6. In this episode we're going to be talking about the Nintendo Entertainment System also known as the Famicom and uh we will be focusing entirely on this for the entire episode. So before we get into any of this, I do want to play an un-Nintendo-related un- demo. This probably will be the only one. Uh, so we'll be back right after this.
was Stargazer by Orb and Andrew Media. Uh, the Piaut ID on this one is 51438, and this is the winner for NVZine 2008. Um, so, uh, our friend, the Nintendo, which you probably grew up blowing into their cartridges and smacking on the top of your console trying to get the bloody thing to work. And, uh, <laughs> so... Alright, so you open up the Nintendo and there are two primary chips, probably the biggest chips on the board. Uh, there's the processor, which is a 6502-ish um, sort of processor. The actual chip on this is labeled the 2A03. Uh, now, again, this is a 6502, but the sound circuitry is also on the die of the chip. Believe it or not, this chip has an audio out pin which is pretty cool, especially if you want to make a chiptune player for the Nintendo. All you really need is this one chip, more or less, right? Plus plus some RAM and, and these other such things. Um, the other chip is the PPU, or the picture processing unit. The label on this chip is the 2C02. Um, now, if you crack open your Nintendo cartridge, uh, let's say Super Mario Brothers, you'll find three chips. Uh, two ROM chips, and then a uh, little itsy-bitsy uh, chip, uh, which is the sort of lock out uh, chip for the the sort of protection chip for the Nintendo. And we're going to ignore this protection chip for a while. Uh, but uh, So these two ROM chips pretty much go to the two main chips. <laughs> the, the one on the left, I believe, would be the program ROM. This is looking uh, from at the board from the top. Um, where all the components are facing up and the connector of the cartridge is on the bottom. The one on the left is the, um, the actual program ROM of the program and this is mapped directly into the address space of the, six, of the 6502. I'll just call it the 6502 and the PPU from now on instead of the 2A03 and 2C02. So this is mapped directly into the uh, memory map of the 6502. Uh, the other chip is uh, not program ROM, it's actually sprite ROM, uh, which is mapped into the address space of the PPU. Now, the uh, program ROM is uh, broken up into two 16 kilobyte chunks, uh, bank 0 and bank 1. Uh, now. On the six five in the six five oh two RAM bank zero is mapped to uh, address C zero 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 to the top of memory. And uh, bank one is mapped to address eight zero this is in hex, address eight zero zero zero. Um the reason for this it kind of looks kinda of funky, but the reason why we map bank zero into the very top of memory uh, is because if we have a cartridge that only has uh, one sixteen kilobyte um, bank of ROM, uh, the reset vectors uh, that tell the 6502 where to actually start and the IRQ vector uh, telling the 6502 where to interrupt when there's an IRQ um, is in the upper part of memory. So this has to, there has to be ROM there in order for the Nintendo itself to start. So uh, the Nintendo, uh, the 6502 memory map there's a lot of mirroring and it looks kind of funky and this is one way it looks kind of funky. Now the other ROM chip that is in the cartridge again is the character ROM and this is mapped into uh, the very bottom of the PPU memory map. 
um, in two four kilobyte chunks. Uh, we call these pattern table zero and pattern table one. Uh, now these possibly could be character RAM as well. Um, but I'm going to describe firstly a very basic Nintendo system, just running Mario, because it turns out a lot of the complexities in the, in the Nintendo uh, were are, is put into the cartridge with various mappers and uh, and bank switchers and, and all these these things that are present in the cartridge, whereas the Nintendo itself is is pretty simple. Now, how the rest of the PPU memory map looks like is, is this. Well, of course we have these character ROM banks, um, and this goes up to address 2000, uh, hex 2000. Then we have name table 0 and attribute table 0. We also have name, name table 1 and attribute table 1. And uh, then we have these two mirrors of the two name table slash attribute tables that I mentioned. Uh, called name table attribute table two, name table attribute table three. Now, how these uh, two superfluous name table slash attribute table banks are mirrored to the the prior two name table slash attribute table banks depends on whether the cartridge is, is mirrored said to be mirrored vertically or horizontally. I think this was meant um, for horizontal scrollers uh, versus vertical scrollers. Um, but if it's uh, mapped horizontally, name table 2 gets the 2 bits get mapped to the uh, 0. <laughs> that makes sense. And then 3 gets mapped to 1. And then if, if it's vertical, 2 gets mapped to 1 and 3 gets mapped to 0. And then we have the image palette and the sprite palette. Uh, but let's go back a little bit to name tables. Um, I should mention that uh, how things are on the Nintendo screen on the television when you play the Nintendo is you have a uh, background plane that is scrollable by some horizontal amount or some and some vertical amount, and then you have sprites over that. So you have a background and sprites, uh, pretty much. And the background uh, is made up of two name tables, um, two 32 by 30 uh, arrays a two-dimensional array of 8-byte sprites. And uh, so if we, the cartridge is mirroring horizontally. Um, you can think of uh, the name tables as side-by-side -side horizontally, so that you wrap horizontally past 64 uh, sprites, and you wrap vertically past 30 sprites. And if it's if it's uh, mirrored vertically, you wrap horizontally by 32 sprites, and you map vertically by 60 sprites, if that makes sense. Um, now, how the name table actually stores uh, the sprites that are in the name table is pretty straightforward. It's just a linear index into the uh, sprite number of the sprite data that's stored in the character ROM. Uh, now we'll talk a little bit about the sprite data stored in the character ROM in a second. Uh, but basically it's uh, four color sprites in there. Um, so it's two bit colored sprites in there. And the Nintendo gets the upper two bits because it's four bit uh, color altogether. It can show 16 colors in the background plane. Uh, through the attribute table. And the, each byte in the attribute table represents a uh, a four by four sprite chunk, and this chunk has to have the same upper two bits. 
and uh, this chunk is divided into um, four two by two uh, sprite chunks. And uh, so the upper two, uh, the lowest two bits in the attribute byte represent the upper left square, the next two bits represent the upper right square, the next two bits represent the lower left square, and the last two bits represent the uh, the lowest, the low right square. How the sprite data is actually stored in the character ROM is um, with 16 bytes per sprite, and uh, each byte is a horizontal little endian bitmap. Um, and so the eight, first eight bytes is bit zero, this bitmap of bit zero, and then you have the next eight bytes being bitmap of uh, bit one, and uh, that's a sprite. Um, so let's take a break, and we'll get back and sort of recap what we said, and kind of give you a, synop- a synopsis of what we we said before we move further into the into the Nintendo.
that was Hospris uh, Embered Recollections. I could be saying that wrong. By by Morph Cat and the Piat ID on this is this is a music uh, disc. The Piat ID on this is five three two two three. Um, now what we just described in the previous segments is the basic art- architecture of the Nintendo. We have uh, two chips, a uh, processor and a graphics chip called the picture processing unit. And these chips have uh, their own memory map independent of each other and two ROMs in the game cartridge devoted to each one. Um, And we also described uh, how sprites are stored in the graphics chip and how they're referenced with name tables and attribute tables um, to make up the background plane on the screen. Now, I do want to add very briefly, uh, perhaps right now, there is a second bank of memory that the PP has access to. This is called uh, the Sprite Attribute Table. This is a 256-byte bank of memory that's used to describe where the sprites are over the background plane. Um, But we'll get into that a bit later. Um, All the communication that the processor uh, does, um, by communication, I mean to the the graphics chip and the sound hardware and the controllers and, and whatnot is done through a bank of registers that is mapped to address 2000 in the 6502 memory. And uh, in these bank of registers, we have a couple of, of registers, uh, one of which is called the PPU memory address. This is an 8-bit bank, uh, specifically at address 2006 in, in hex. And what this does is um, you supply um, the VRAM uh, address uh, two bytes because it's a word. It's a 16-bit address. Uh, the least significant, the the high byte is written first and the low byte is written last. And uh, the next register in the register set is uh, at address 2007. This is the I.O. register. You can write a byte to the PPU memory this way, or you can read a byte to the PPU memory this way. And uh, we talked about the sprite memory. There is a similar sort of style for accessing the sprite memory. We have uh, at address 2003 uh, the sprite memory address, which is only 8-bit because we only have 256 bytes of this particular bank, and uh, the sprite I.O. register at uh, 2004. In addition to those, we also have a third register for the sprite uh, memory called sprite DMA. This is at address 4014. Um, This you supply, uh, you write a byte to this, and this byte multiplied by 256 uh, equals the source address for a DMA transfer into the sprite memory, and it transfers all 256 bytes um, after that address into the sprite memory. And uh, so let me briefly uh, go through one by one all the registers that are in this I.O. bank to give you a feel for, for what the CPU can control and how it controls it. The first register, and this is starting at address 2000 in the in the CPU memory map, and I'll enumerate these just from now on. Um, and I should also add that uh, when I refer to VRAM, I mean PPU, the PPU memory map. I may have said that before, uh, and I'll most definitely say in the future. So that's what I mean when I say VRAM. I mean the PPU memory map. 
so the first register in the I.O. bank is the PPU control register. So the first one. Then we have another PPU control register. Then we have the PP status register, the sprite memory address register, then the sprite I.O. register, the background scroll register, the PPU memory address register, uh, the PPU I.O. register. Then we have all the sound registers, uh, which I won't get into quite now. We'll get into that in a later part. Um, and the sound registers go all the way up to address uh, 4014. Uh, then we have the sprite DMA register again. And uh, after that we have the sound control register. Uh, then we have the joypad number one register and joypad number two register. And that's about it for, for I.O. Uh, between the program and the rest of the system. So let's have a look at Super Mario Brothers. Super Mario Brothers is a uh, game with two 16 kilobytes banks of uh, program ROM for the 6502, as well as one bank of character ROM for the PPU. And uh, in bank zero, uh, again, the interrupt vectors are present. Uh, so let's examine what the interrupt vectors are. We have three of those. We have an IRQ, an unmaskable interrupt, as well as a reset vector. Uh, the reset vector uh, happens to be 8,000 as present in the ROM. This tells the uh, 6502 where to begin. So let's disassemble uh, the ROM from address 8,000 and we can see that the first thing that uh, Super Mario Brothers does is it turns off interrupts. Uh, it then loads uh, hexadecimal 40 into register uh, the register at 2000 which happens to be the PPU control register uh, number one and uh, what 40 uh, hex um, is uh, the bitmap of this correlates to turning the uh, interrupt on sprite hits on now the kind of going back to sprites a little bit the Nintendo uh, has a very special sprite. This is a uh, Sprite Zero, uh, which can be used as a what's called a hit sprite. Um, what this means is that when the raster, um, when the scan line uh, encounters a pixel in Sprite Zero, which is not zero, it generates an interrupt. Uh, this generally is used uh, for being able to um, mark places on the screen where sh we, we should change how the background is scrolled, uh, for instance. With Super Mario Brothers, specifically what this is used for, not in this case at the very beginning, because it's used as initialization at the very beginning, but later on in Super Mario Brothers, uh, the hit sprite is actually used for the uh, the menu at the top that has your score and all the status for your little Mario character that's running around and uh, the hit sprite when the raster reaches that sprite um, then we scroll the background name tables the background plane uh, 
to where it would be in just normal gameplay because you're moving this background play because it's a background plane because it's a it's a 2D scroller, right? Uh, but you're not moving the the status at the top. So the status at the top is actually in the background plane, but it's not being moved because we're using the sprite hit interrupt as a reference to when to move it and when not to move it. Now, what we're doing here uh, at the very beginning, I presume, uh, granted I am not a programmer from the 80s or anything like that, and uh, so just by disassembling uh, Super Mario Brothers, I assume what, what the program programmers were doing here was that they were turning on the uh, sprite hit interrupt, uh, which doesn't actually generate an interrupt because they turned off the interrupt mask um, in the 6502 before doing this. Uh, but what it actually does uh, for it allows the um, PPU status register, which um, is also part of the 6502 register bank uh, that can be read by the 6502. Um, there's a particular bit in here that um, goes to, that is, an, is, set, is set to 1 when the sprite hit occurs, uh, whether we have that interrupt masked or not. Uh, so, going on, looking at the disassembly of the very beginning of Super Mario Brothers, uh, we see that um, the program is actually looking at the PPU status register, and uh, it is waiting until it is one. Um, the hit occurrence flag is is the actual flag um, that this is um, twice. I don't know why it's doing this twice. But it waits till it's one, then waits till it waits until it's one again. Now I presume, again, this is just uh, my assumption uh, based on looking at this program, um, is that perhaps that the programmers wanted to bring the Nintendo into a state that was known, like completely known, because when you start the Nintendo, you are unaware of where the raster would be um, as compared to to where your program is. So maybe if your program depends on having a vertical blank interrupt occur at a particular time in initialization, um, or before a particular time in, in an initialization, it's helpful to know uh, exactly um, have everything exactly in sync how you assume the Nintendo is of course this is speculation but uh, this is uh, this is what I think they're doing so let's skip all the initialization and let's go into the actual gameplay when you play Super Mario Brothers what we have is a screen uh, with the menu on top um, and uh, the actual game field on the bottom. Uh, again, we have the hit sprite uh, just below the menu, and uh, what the main loop of Super Mario Brothers does is it's, um, it moves the background plane, scrolls it horizontally to zero, waits until the uh, until we hit the bottom of the menu, scrolls the horizontal uh, by um, a modulus of where you are in the game map 
of uh, a modulus of the size, full size, of the name tables uh, so that we wrap uh, the horizontal scroll on the name tables as you move forward. Uh, then we wait until a vertical interrupt and then we scroll it back to zero and do this all over again. Now, when you move forward in the game, uh, what it does is it updates the name tables uh, below your moving window to represent where you are in its own internal map. And it does this by updating the name tables first, then it updates the attribute tables. Um, all the while updating um, the player information, where you are, where the monsters are, and uh, checking to see if the um, status of the controllers has changed. Uh, now all the monsters um, are done with sprites and Mario is done with sprites as well. Um, the coins that we have that are fading in and out, um, it just adjusts the palette for this, uh, for the question mark bo boxes where we have this shiny gold that is shining in and out. It just cycles through uh, gold-ish looking colors for the palette and uh, that's how that's done. Now we can have 64 sprites above the background plane um, more or less simultaneously. Uh, the attributes for these are stored in again the sprite attribute table which is a 256 byte uh, bank of memory that's accessible by the uh, the PPU as well as the 6502 through uh, the DMA register as well as the uh, sprite address and sprite data registers. Um, the sprite uh, information uh, looks like this. We have a uh, we have four bytes per sprite. The first byte being the Y coordinate of where the sprite is. Uh, the second byte being the tile index. Um, the third sprite uh, is a bitmap. Uh, of flags indicating whether this sprite is flipped vertically, uh, flipped horizontally, horizontally, or uh, whether this sprite has priority over the background. Uh, now, what priority over the background means is, while there's a special color in the Nintendo, color zero, this color is used for transparency. Um, if the sprite uh, color is transparent, uh, we default uh, if it has a sprite, if the priority is over the background, we default to drawing the background. Now, if the priority is uh, 1 being behind the background, and the background color is not 0, we default to the background color. And uh, if they both happen to be 0, there is a, the, there is a background register uh, color in the register bank, and we default to that color. Now, the fourth byte uh, for each sprite indicates the x-coordinate. Uh, now, I should mention that we can have 8x8 eight eight sprites, uh, but we can also have 8x16 pixel sprites. Um, this is used in uh, games like Castlevania, for instance. And uh, the only real difference between these, aside from the size of the sprite, is the sprite tile index number no longer is a linear index into the character ROM of where the sprite is, but rather this value's most significant bit um, is 
assumed to be the least significant bit, and the least significant bit is ignored, if that makes sense. Uh, so then the sprite data is stored in 8x8 sprites, uh, linearly uh, being the top part of the 8x16 sprite, and the bottom part of the 8x16 sprite. The advantage of this, of course, being now we can have a screen that appears to have 128 8x8 sprites, uh, but in reality it's 64 8x16 sprites. Um, only 8 sprites per scan line can be displayed, uh, which is one exception on the amount of sprites that can be on the screen at, at any time. Um, you can see an artifact of this uh, when you're playing and there's a bunch of Goombas next to you or some sort of enemy next to you or monster next to you and uh, all the you and all the monsters kind of blink a lot I don't know if you've seen this uh, but play the Nintendo and you'll probably see this when you have a bunch of things there together this is because you're exceeding the maximum number of sprites that can be on the scan line at one time there are a lot of emulators that ignore this, but uh, you'll probably see it on a real Nintendo. Um, now, both the backgrounds and the sprites have two palettes, and uh, these palettes uh, are in the PPU memory map. Uh, again, um, each one is an array of 16 byte entries, and uh, well, they're actually 6 bit uh, entries, uh, but the 6th and 7th bit of uh, each byte is ignored. Um, these color entries in the palette don't actually hold any RGB values or anything like this, uh, but rather it is a is a bitmap of the luminance as well as the chroma blue and chroma red um, of the uh, of the pixel or rather the the palette entry. Um, and there are two bits associated with each one, uh, so we have a um, we have a choice from a supposed palette of 64 colors, uh, where if the upper uh, luma bits are one, the colors are nearly white, whereas if it's zero, the colors are have no luminance to them. They're very saturated, if that makes sense. On the chroma spectrum of this bitmap, um, on uh, low values, we have a very low um, saturation, so we have a grayscale, more or less. And, uh, then on high values, I haven't really figured this out myself, but on high values, um, we have all black. I'm not exactly sure why we have all black on high values, but that's, that's where we get black from. Um, and so the rest of the spectrum uh, almost just looks like a pure chroma spectrum where we have a rainbow. Um, you, of course, don't have to figure any of this out. Uh, you can probably find the RGB values of the Nintendo Color Map uh, just by uh, looking it up on Google if you want to put this into your emulator or figure out what colors to choose for your game or, or something like that. And so I 
think we've talked enough about video for the moment. I may get back to it, but uh, now I'm going to focus on the audio uh, hardware in the Nintendo. That was a uh, a uh, intro by uh, called Stars by Chris Covell. The Piat ID on this is one five two one six. Now the sound hardware, which is again on the actual die of the two A zero three, consists of four internal channels, uh, more or less. We have a uh, we have two square wave channels. We have one triangle wave channel, and we have a noise generation channel. In addition to this, we can also do uh, delta code modulation samples uh, out of the Nintendo audio hardware as well. Uh, But for the moment, let me focus on the square wave and triangle wave channels. Um, All these channels, the four, uh, including the uh, sample channel, uh, we'll call this channel five, uh, mind you, can be either muted or unmuted uh, by register 4000, the register in address 4015 of the 6502 memory map. Um, This is a five-bit number, uh, zero being mute, uh, one being unmute. Each each channel... uh, um, of the each square wave channel, uh, the triangle channel, the noise channel, uh, each of these have a four bytes in the register bank associated uh, with them to control them, and they're all controlled in the exact same way. Uh, the four bytes for square wave 
for the first square wave channel is mapped to address 4000. Uh, the second square wave channel is mapped to address 4004. Uh, the triangle channel is mapped to 4008. And lastly, the noise channel is mapped to 4000 C. Now, these, uh, for all ten intents and purposes, represent the same synth. Uh, the only difference between uh, the square wave, uh, the triangle, and the noise wave is we're dealing with a different waveform. Uh, but the four uh, bytes work the same way for, for every channel. Uh, the first byte controlling each channel uh, is called the control register, uh, called control register number one. Uh, the bits in these include a duty cycle. We have two bits uh, representing a uh, duty cycle from 25% uh, to 87%, uh, which is used to, um, to simulate envelopes uh, well, not to simulate, to have a primitive envelope or primitive frequency shift. Uh, the next bit is a hold note uh, flag, uh, which can be used to hold the duty cycle uh, of the frequency shifts or continue the duty cycle of the frequency shift or the envelope. Uh, then we have uh, the next bit, which represents a uh, envelope that is controlled by the cycle or an envelope that is fixed. Uh, and then we have the playback rate, which, if you wanted to, can be used to control the total duration of the duty cycle. Uh, there are four bits associated with this. Um, now, the next byte is the control register number uh, two, uh, which uh, the, is a bitmap again. Uh, the very first bit, uh, the most significant bit, uh, that's the order in which I'm describing these, from most significant bit to least significant bit, uh, represents um, is zero if the frequency does not sweep over time. It is one if it does sweep over time. And uh, then we have three bits associated with the frequency sweep speed. Then we have one bit associated with whether it uh, shifts from low to high or high to low. And then we have three bits associated with the frequency range in which this sweeps. Um, then the next byte is the frequency uh, value. The total frequency value is 11 bits, uh, but the lower 8 bits is mapped into this particular byte. The upper bits is mapped into the next byte, the last byte controlling each channel. Um, in the, uh, the first three, the least three significant bits in this byte are mapped to the uh, most significant bits in the frequency value register. And uh, the rest of the bits in this, this register is uh, an indication of the active uh, time. Uh, this gets cut off after this time is expired um, instead of having an envelope that goes down in volume. Now, I will be honest with you, my experience with uh, programming the audio hardware is not as solid as I would like it to be. I've just written an emulator for this, uh, but uh, 
you probably should find your closest uh, chiptune person and uh, ask them about any questions that you may have with the audio hardware uh, because I'm going to go into the depth that I know about the hardware in this episode. I'm not going to go any further. Um, the uh, the sample channel, the last channel that we're going to talk about, um, has a similar sort of style of control. Uh, we have uh, duty cycles again for the first uh, control register. We have uh, whether this frequency will be held or not. We have whether this uh, envelope will remain fixed or uh, decay over time. And we also have a playback rate. Um, the next byte for the sample control is just the volume. This is an 8 byte uh, value, uh, just controlling the volume of the sample. Uh, the byte after that is the address register. This uh, register represents the upper uh, 8 bits in a 16 bit uh, pointer to where the audio is stored. Um, after that, we have the length register. This is uh, 8 bits that describes the size of the sample. Um, now, every time you write to the control register of the sample uh, channel, uh, this triggers the playing of a sample. And uh, so, I'm, think I'm thinking that's, that's about all I'm going to talk about with sound, because I'm not entirely comfortable with the sound aspect of the Nintendo. Uh, but if you write, uh, I have a little bit of advice for you. If you write an emulator, um, download Nofrendo. Uh, and the sound core uh, for the the APU is what they call it, the audio processing unit, um, is really simple to use. Basically, it's uh, a function that you call when you want to write to any of these registers, and then you periodically call a function that updates a sample uh, a buffer with uh, what audio is coming out of the speaker. Uh, the core of Nofrendo can also be found in uh, the Nintendo Sound Format player called uh, Nose Heart. Uh, now, the Nintendo Sound Format is kind of a, a hack of, uh, of the program ROM uh, data to completely get rid of all the game uh, information and all the graphics information uh, and uh, just have it being played on a APU slash processor emulation. Uh, the program Nosefart, for instance, does this. Uh, so people who make uh, Nintendo sound format uh, uh, files either do this with a tracker and this tracker uh, writes a program that this emulator, this uh, half Nintendo implemented emulator uh, runs and then it runs some sort of internal through some sort of internal format that this tracker uses for the program that it has encapsulated into the NSF file. Um, or people extract the sound information from games like uh, Mega Man for instance um, how the sound is produced is it's produced uh, via the interrupts via the vertical interrupts of the game uh, we have a uh, uh, address that we call to set up um, to set up 
uh, a particular song that we want to play with the accumulator in the 6502 uh, being the uh, soundtrack that we want to play. Uh, once that's done, uh, the vertical interrupt periodically calls another address um, to update the sound registers uh, in the APU to actually generate the sound. And this is how the music's done in uh, Mega Man, for instance, Mega Man 1. And it's similar for a lot of a lot of other games. So what people have done is they've found out where the code that's specifically meant for sound is, and they've encapsulated it in uh, Nintendo sound format files. This uh, would probably be useful to you as a Nintendo programmer, um, because if you're generating uh, an NSF file with a tracker, um, it's stored as a program. You need to find the initialization routine. Uh, you can call this in your game program, and then you need to periodically uh, call a uh, function to update the sound registers. And that way, perhaps you don't have to program these registers directly. Um, you can use a more intuitive uh, way of generating sounds, uh, like with a tracker. And now, let's go back and talk about the Nintendo um, generally. Um, we've just described a basic Nintendo system uh, that is playing a cartridge with a ROM for the 6502 and a ROM for the PPU. Um, this is all well and good, but uh, you are limited in the amount of characters you can have on the screen as well as the size of the program and over time people have overcome these limitations by uh, putting into the cartridge uh, things that are called mappers or bank switchers and what these are are chips that uh, look at the address bus uh, and when the address bus of the program ROM uh, gets accessed at key uh, points, this either triggers the bank switch of the program ROM or the bank switch of the character ROM or uh, other things to extend the amount of storage that can be put into a cartridge. Um, modifications to the cartridges also include uh, things like uh, character RAM for instance, uh, where we don't have character ROM and then it's the program ROM's responsibility to initialize the character RAM uh, with characters. Super Mario, Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 2 does this, for instance. And uh, for a lot of the animated characters, uh, like uh, the cherries that swing back and forth, it's not accessing the name table of the background where these cherries are stored on the screen, but rather it's accessing the actual sprite data and overwriting this with another frame. Uh, that way you don't have to keep track of where cherries are on the screen. You can just overwrite the source of, of how cherries get drawn. Another game that uses this, for instance, is, uh, again, Mega Man 1. Uh, now... The most common mapper is mapper number one, uh, which is uh, a mapper that um, is made by Nintendo 
uh, Corporation. And this is a program ROM bank switcher as well as a character uh, RAM bank switcher. Um, so if you write an emulator, uh, first you probably should write a base system, and then probably you should write emulation for mapper number one. Now, going back to the base system again, um, how do we read controller information? Uh, well, we read this through 6502, uh, a couple of registers in the register bank in the 6502 memory. Uh, the addresses of these two is 4016 as well as 4017. Uh, 4016 representing uh, controller number one and 4017 representing controller number two. Uh, now, how you access this is you write one to uh, register 4016 uh, or register 4017 depending on what control you're accessing. Uh, what this does is, well inside the controller there is a shift register um, that shifts out 8 bits each bit associated with the button that's being pressed. If you write 1, this resets the shift register. Uh, then you can read sequentially, uh, strobing out each bit of the strip shift register. The first read is A, then B, start, select, up, down, left, right. Um, and uh, this is how the joysticks work. Um, now, I'm not going to talk about the zapper, unfortunately, because I have no experience with the with using the zapper. Um, but let's now talk about the uh, corks of the Nintendo. The sprite memory address register as well as the PPU address memory register is physically the same latch. Uh, so that if you write to the sprite memory address register it's exactly like writing to the PPU memory register and vice versa. Um, if you write to the sprite memory address register, it uh, clears um, the... Uh, it, it resets what byte is being written to the PPU memory register uh, so that the byte that you just wrote happens to be the lower byte, um, if that makes sense. Uh, another quirk is um, generally you're not supposed to uh, writes uh, to any of the PPU memory while the display is being drawn. Uh, this is something that you reserve for the vertical blank. Um, this is because internally the PPU uses uh, the registers, uh, its registers, uh, as a um, scratch pad for actually drawing the image. Um, the advantage of this, however, is that uh, it's a little bit of a hack, but you can uh, write to these registers while the raster is being drawn. Um, and uh, you can do things like uh, squeeze uh, vertically the image size. Uh, this is, uh, I've seen this done in demos, for instance, for having, uh, having objects that look like texture maps that are being rotated. Um, along the x-axis. Um, this is done by squeezing the entire display vertically uh, to have it 
simulate how the texture map would look like as it becomes as the surface becomes perpendicular to the screen um, uh, another thing you can do is uh, you can uh, if you're very good at keeping track of time you can uh, write the horizontal uh, scroll of the background plane uh, while it's being drawn to create parallax effects and, uh, and things like this Now, a, another tip for emulator writers, um, when you write a uh, Nintendo emulator, chances are your bottleneck is going to be PPU emulation. Uh, what you want to do is not uh, emulate um, three clock cycles of the uh, of the processor and then emulate one pixel of the PPU because the PPU draws uh, a pixel per every three clock cycles of the processor. Um, going back and forth like this will kill your cache coherency and will make your your emulator dog slow. What you want to do is emulate the amount of cycles for an entire frame. Uh, because most of the communication between the PPU and the CPU is one way. The only communication you're getting back from the PPU is the uh, hit flag interrupt, uh, which you can emulate in a s separately uh, within this portion of the emulator. Then you want to uh, next uh, emulate a full frame of the PPU, and uh, this will speed things up considerably. Another tip is to, uh, instead of um, evaluating a background pixel and then evaluating a sprite pixel uh, for every pixel, uh, evaluate all the background pixels um, to, again, increase locality of uh, your program flow. Uh, then after that, uh, evaluate all the sprite pixels and uh, then go through some sort of uh, code to decide which pixel gets drawn. Uh, this will also speed things up uh, considerably. Um, hmm. You know, I think that's going to be it for this episode. We're getting a little bit uh, long on time, and I hope that this helped you in any way or you found it interesting. I hope yeah, this wasn't too boring. Unfortunately, there is so much information to divulge uh, with the Nintendo. Uh, we haven't even scratched uh, the surface. It's a very, very interesting little piece of hardware, um, and writing an emulator is probably one of the funnest things you can do. Uh, so, thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to close uh, with not a Nintendo song, unfortunately, but this is a song by the uh, the Black Lotus that I am in love with for whatever reason. I'm totally going to marry it. Like, I don't know why I like this song so much, but I really do. Uh, so, thank you much, and we will see you next week. Take care.
Thank you for listening to Hack the Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosts.